Universe is brought to you by SWE Advance, supporting the recruitment, retention, and advancement of women in engineering through career resources, professional development, and one-to-one networking opportunities. Hi, I'm Jessica Rano, FY17 President of the Society of Women Engineers, and this is SWE's Diverse Podcast Series. Please remember to add this podcast to your iTunes and like or follow us on social media. Visit SWE.org for more details. Joining me now is Ken Barrett. He is the Global Chief Diversity Officer at General Motors. He's the first one to hold that position and has been with the company for four years. Prior to that, he spent 28 years in the Navy. He was head of diversity for the Navy and Department of Defense. Thank you for joining us, Ken. Well, it's great to be with you, Jessica. We'll start with while you were in the Navy, you achieved historic levels of female officers and began work-life balance initiatives. You helped make sure women can serve on nuclear-powered submarines, and you started the career intermission program. Can you tell us more about your experiences there? No, absolutely. And I think you've given me a little bit too much credit. I certainly was involved <laughs> with all of that, but I certainly wasn't the only one involved. I, I think for the Navy, when I look back at it now, It was really all about talent, and it was about, you know, female talent and what 50% of the population actually gave to the services that are there to defend our country. And I think for the Navy, it was a no-brainer to kind of look at it from the standpoint, why wouldn't you have women on submarines? So, you know, we have some of the most talented uh, engineers out there who are women, and being able to exclude them from one of the critical pat- platforms, which was really the most technologically advanced platform that the Navy has, uh, just didn't seem to make much sense. So, you know, we really wanted to be able to make sure that we were o- opening up as many opportunities as possible for women in, in the military service, specifically the Navy. And as far as the career and admission uh, program, you know, that was an opportunity for us to kind of look at, you know, what is the dynamic actually happening inside the workforce with respect to women? And what were some of the big determinants for them to actually leave the service? And a lot of it was the lack of flexibility. And so for us to be able to have uh, up to three years where you could take a sabbatical, if you will, uh, off of active duty and your clock would stop so you wouldn't be, you know, uh, uh, somehow disadvantaged because you took time off in your career. So if you wanted to start a family, if you wanted to take care of an elder parent, whatever it may be, that you'd have the opportunity to do that and then come back as a full up round. Now, it was open to all, you know, not just uh, women, but uh, certainly we were looking at it with the the emphasis for women and what they would want with respect to retaining them. But we actually, I found that uh, we actually had more men that actually took advantage of the program. That's a really interesting point. You know, I think a lot of times when things are marketed as to help, you know, work-life integration for women, it really helps all the employees. It's not just, you know, specific to one sex that it's going to help. I think that people forget that men also have families and lives that they need to take care of. You know, especially amongst the millennial generation, you know, work and family. Family is an important aspect of that. They want to be able to do things that really stretch them, but also have that flexibility. So anytime you're working that into any business model you have, it's a positive for your own organization. GM builds vehicles in 30 countries, and the brands include Chevrolet, Cadillac, Buick, GMC, and OnStar. And GM has the automotive industry's first women CEO, Mary Barra. Can you tell us about some of GM's program for diversity such as your employee resource group and the Global Women's Council that serves over 22 countries around the world? 
No, absolutely. And I think it's important to really look at Mary Barra and how she's matriculated through the system here at General Motors. I mean, certainly she's a talented engineer in her own right, but it's not somebody that we actually hired in at the CEO level. I mean, she started as a co-op student at 18 years old and came into the company as an intern um, and basically did that uh, for the first four years or six years of her academic career and has basically gone made all the way through the system all the way up to CEO. So I think that it's an important to, to realize that it's not just me. I mean, you mentioned that I've been at General Motors for four years and uh, the first one to hold the uh, chief diversity officer position. But I would tell you there's been people that have been concentrating on diversity and inclusion for many, many years. So it's critical to really understand that this is something that the company has cared about for, for a long time, but also it put, in, put women into key positions throughout its history to be able to make sure that they can actually do great things for the, for the company. And yeah, you did mention about the employee resource groups. I mean, we do have 12 kind of primary employee resource groups, but uh, one GM women has gone kind of, um, it's exploded, I would say, in a positive way to where you have many different mentoring circles inside uh, GM women. So you have women in engineering, you've got women in manufacturing, you've got women in finance, you name the function. And there's a mentoring circle, if you will, inside of GM women. And then on top of that, you did mention, uh, Jessica, that we're a global company and you know, we continue to be a global presence. And I would tell you, we have now up to 24 councils, women's councils around the globe. So we were up from 22, which we just had a few months ago. So it continues to expand as uh, we go, you know, continue to kind of connect the grid, if you will, of women all across the world. And it's an exciting thing. I mean, we've been able to get, I have a global women's uh, summit where we brought women in from 36 different countries that represented all the councils and others that uh, continue to add on, uh, but then at all different functions, all different levels, and really able to talk about some of the things that we can do as a company to make sure that women are getting every opportunity possible. That's great to hear that you've been able to, you know, expand your programs. GM just doesn't have them in the U.S. You know, we're seeing that with a lot of our corporate partners that have been involved in SWE, and I know GM has been a partner with Sweet since I've been a member, and I've been a member over 20 years, uh, that, you know, providing not just those experiences to grow in the U.S., but around the world. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And we think it's critical. Our relationship with the Society of Women Engineers is critical to us. You know, we're, again, we're looking for talent, female talent. You know, more women are graduating from, you know, college, more getting master's degree, more and more getting doctorates, you name it. You know, women, women are there. They're a talent pool that just can't be ignored. And, you know, we're spending a lot of time and certainly we value our relationship with the Society of Women Engineers. Yeah, and I think especially with your product, I think that was, you know, uh, I've heard that I don't remember the exact percent, but I know it's more women are involved in the car purchasing decision than men, actually. And a lot of times they end up making the final decision. So it's important to have your, you know, people designing your product that actually use it. Yeah, they've got to be able to resonate with the customers that we hope to sell to. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, about you know, 55% of all vehicles are purchased by women. Women influence the purchase of about 85% of vehicles out there. 
in my personal case, 100% of all vehicles have been influenced by women. So, yeah, it's a huge driver. And I think it's very much you look at in any type of the consumer buying uh, realm, you know, women are the deciding factor in so many different sectors. Uh, so talk, speaking of our SWE and GM's relationship, uh, GM was one of the founding members of SWE's STEM reentry program for technical women who take a break in their careers and want to return to work. Um, and actually, I think your program is open to men and women, if I'm correct. Yeah. So we have our Take Two program. And uh, it right now, it, it is open just to women. And we may expand it to men at a future date. But right now, we started our pilot, uh, Jessica, back uh, in the spring of 2016. And we had uh, 10 in our, our initial pilot. Now, I got to tell you something about this. We we actually got over 400 applications for the first cohort uh, wow. for those 10 yeah, for those 10 positions. Wow. And we, we kept it very, you know, it's a pilot, so we wanted to try to make sure that we could prove the concept and, you know, working, you know, hand in glove with SWE and what you guys had for your reentry program and making sure that we, we captured all the tenants that you were hoping to get from the program. We kept it to vehicle engineering and manufacturing engineering. And uh, again, we had, the thing that was really cool about it is that you had career gaps uh, for women who had been out of the workforce from four years up to 24 years. So, I mean, it was, uh, I, I thought it was just a huge, you know, you, you could see this kind of eclectic mix of women from many different, you know, aspects of engineering that have been out of the workforce for a long time, some just a few years. And I would tell you out of that first cohort, we had uh, we actually extended offers to nine out of the 10. And of that, we had 100% acceptance rate for, for jobs. So that that was great for us. And just so you know, we uh, started our second cohort here in the fall of 2016 and uh, had 23 this time. And we would had over 1,000 applications for those 23 slots. And again, the career gap of uh, two to 20 years is basically what we're talking about for a, kind of a mix here of women that came into this program. And Again, we expanded a bit more, so bringing in more global propulsion systems and IT women. And then our third cohort, which we're going to do in the spring of 2017, is going to bring in our customer care and after sales and also our finance arm. So we're looking to continue to grow this, and I can tell you it's extremely popular. Wow, I can't believe you've had that many applicants. That really tells you that there's a great need for uh, ways to reintegrate people to work when they've been able to take a when they've had to take a break for either childcare or taking care of a parent or you know whatever reason. Um, definitely, there's a need for it. I remember the meeting where we started discussing it. It was the our corporate partnership council meeting, and I was actually sitting at the table with the CPC members from GM and. While they were, we were talking about this program, they both were writing down notes saying, we're going to be part of this. So uh, it's great to hear what a success it was uh, for your company. Well, I tell you, and we thank SWE for having this great idea. You know, we do call it the Take Two program. We pro branded it our own, but we we realized that you guys were the catalyst to really put this idea forward. And I think you're absolutely right. The need is there. You just see it. And I think the response has just been uh, a testament to what you guys already knew. So, so thanks, SWE. Thank you, guys. Yeah, it's been interesting. And I know you've been part of a cohort with other employers um, that you've been able to feed off of um, what each other is doing. And I know everyone's kind of branded it their own ways to make, you know, meet their company recruiting needs and marketing needs. Um, but it's really great to see how successful it's been. 
No, it's been great. I, I think it's kind of a, a learning collective, if you will. We all get lessons learned as we go forward, and I, I think we're taking all of that seriously from other from the other corporate partners that you have that are also, you know, uh, getting involved here. And, you know, I would tell you, you know, the, whether it's the IBMs of the world, certainly we've been probably a little bit closer with the folks that are have spent more time with, like, Cummings and Caterpillar or Intel, those kind of companies, because we're looking at the same types of talent and how they're going after those, uh, you know, getting access to those folks who may be interested. And, and maybe I think that collaboration is, is probably uh, – been the the main driver as far as getting so much interest from from the outside. So I want to shift gears a little bit and you know, discuss some of the diversity programming you do. And uh, one thing I want to talk about is what does GM do to combat unconscious or implicit bias against women in engineering? Yeah, I, I think that um, you know we do do unconscious bias training, um, and it's embedded throughout our, our leadership development continuum, if you will. So every time that you're getting an Another kind of core um, piece of training, uh, whether it's you're a new manager, you're a new executive or a new hire, those types of things. We definitely want to make sure that we get that front and center of folks. But I would tell you this, too, that, you know, maybe we have since we've had such a long history of women that have been able to move up through the organization. And I have so many women that can kind of look up and see Mary Barra as the CEO. We have Alicia Bowler Davis, who is the, uh, the global uh, head of manufacturing, senior vice president for manufacturing, probably the largest manufacturing organization in the world run by a woman. So I think that, you know, when you see those types of women in such high positions in the company, that it becomes natural, you know, it becomes natural that, you know, people uh, would expect that you have the ability to move into those roles if that's something that you want to pursue. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that that's one of the main drivers here. Uh, I think it's something that we're very conscious about, though, of this unconscious bias. Don't mean to be repetitive <laughs> with words here, yeah. but but you know what I mean. I, I think that, you know, we want to be able to make sure that, you know, folks understand that aspect of it. And we try to talk about it in a way that it's not you know, right behavior, wrong behavior, it just is. It's what we have. And so what are those types of things that you do every day that you're not really thinking about that, you know, really does have an impact? And I, I would tell you that, you know, I, I think that the biggest thing is just to get folks to think about what they may have done in the past. It may not even be things that are currently happening, but they so they can relate to it to say, okay, I want to make sure that I'm giving full opportunity to everyone. Yeah, I think that's, you know, an important point that you said about unconscious bias, that it is I mean, everyone has bias. You know, the, um, I'm sure you've taken the Harvard tests on it, and it's always interesting to see which way you lean. Um, but I think really, you know, having that training and making it repetitive where you are aware of it, I mean, because there'll be times I'll think something, I'm like, wait a minute, Jessica, that's what you're thinking in your head, get over it. And that's not, you know, um, and I think being more aware of it's really the important part. No, I, th I think that's critical. Uh, I think you've got to be able to do that. And just if you can admit it up front, then, hey, you get through it. And then you just, you know, try to be more in tune to it as it comes up in many different settings, whether it's women or any other minority groups, could be LGBT community, who knows, right? Whatever mm -hmm. the drivers are that you may have that you may know or may not know, right? So, uh, but uh, being able to make sure that at least if you've identified it, then it's something that you can address. GM's been very successful with their women moving up throughout their company. Um, do you have any hints about what men can do to be better diversity partners for women engineers? Well, 
I would say that uh, they need to listen more uh, to what women are telling them. And I think a lot of times if you are tr- being proactive and really want to engage the women in your workforce, they're going to tell you everything that you need to hear. And I think a lot of times that uh, folks will kind of get into a, uh, a thing that, you know, is kind of out of sight, out of mind. They won't necessarily do the engagement that they need to do to make sure that they have productive conversations that really help understand some of the issues. I think that we've actually have something that's pretty unique uh, at GM2. Uh, it's not super big at this point, but they have women mentoring men. Uh, in the organization. So we have a lot of our senior women that now we're trying to look at, you know, uh, kind of our high potential men that are coming up in the organization and actually, you know, besides just mentoring women, but going out there and making sure that they have men that they're actively mentoring and being able to get them engaged as allies inside the GM women's group. And I think that that has been powerful to be able to make sure that um, you have a different type of dialogue instead of like, you know, and I think you might know this, Jessica, in a lot of companies, um, it's, and I would even say to a large extent still here at General Motors, you'll tend to go to like a GM women's ERG event, and it's going to be predominantly women, like 90% women, right? So, which is great, but you, you're talking to the converted, <laughs> Right. So everybody's a, you know, everybody's bought in. So it's not like it's like when I start to see 20 percent, 30 percent men at those GM women events, then I think we're starting to really make a difference here. It's a good productive dialogue. And in a lot of cases, you know, especially some of the older white guys like myself, you know, they have other types of things, whether it's their spouses who have worked, whether it's daughters they have now that are in the workforce. All of those things, I think, are really powerful to them to just understand the dialogue that occurs amongst the GM women's group. So, I mean, I would say that, hey, you got to listen more. you got to be able to make sure that you're, you're really open to those engagements with women and being actively, you know, really trying to receive the message they're trying to give. And I think, you know, it's similar to SWE. We always have the uh, – people are always surprised when we say we have male members and we have male, you know, attend our conference. And like you said, those are the people that get it. It's bringing more along. And I think, you know, once we start having – more people having the conversation together, that's really where we can make progress. And it's great to hear that uh, you're continuing well, to you. encourage thank you. that. And we do. And we do. So kind of from the other angle, do you have any uh, ideas for what women engineers can do to make their companies more diverse? Um, I know you had talked about your mentoring program. Yeah, um, I, I, I would tell you this, and I'm not going to give you like the Madeleine Albright statement here or anything like that, you know, but, but certainly got to be involved. You know, I think <laughs> yeah. that it's important that, you know, once you get to a certain level in an organization, you got to be able to give back to the organization. And I think that if you want to really see a change, I mean, or affect culture change in an organization, you got to be involved. Uh, so, and I, I mean, I think a lot of times, and I have had talks with, with women who are in the organization who've done well and it's like well I don't want this to be the thing that defines me I want to just be a good engineer and I go I get that however you know We've gotten to a point now where it's important for folks to make the, establish a connection, a robust relationship with women that are coming up in the organization or other minorities that may be underrepresented in your organization and really champion that. And I think it's something that they can do. So I consider that as part of your, you know, it's got to be part of your makeup, part of your DNA that you do every single day inside the organization to make your organization better. So being proactive, being involved, that's the critical aspect, I believe. 
So you talked about changing the culture of your organization. Uh, do, what are some of the biggest challenges you've had in changing the culture of organizations? Either you know your experiences at GM. I'm sure uh, the Navy was challenging at times with your long yeah, career there. Definitely. Well, you don't want to take me back there. No, I'm just kidding. It was <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, no, I would say that yeah, certainly it's a you know I came from one very large organization to another very large organization. That's uh, and I won't say that it's set in its ways, but certainly there's some institutional inertia that sometimes is hard to overcome. How's that? Did I say that politically correct enough? That's good. Uh, so I would just say that, you know, you've just got to be able to, um, you got to be free of, of not, you know, holding yourself back on trying to vocalize the things that need to really change. I, I think for us, it's been, you know, at General Motors and I, I mean, I, you know, we've gone through some tough times. You know, we 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 emerged from a bankruptcy. We had an ignition switch recall. All those things that were pretty dramatic. And Mary is the one who took the lead here and said, you know what? We don't want to put these types of things behind us. We want to keep it front and center. Never, ever forget about what we've done here to try to improve the culture. I think that, you know, from that aspect, you know, Mary has been able to really spark, really ignite kind of this free flow of information of speaking up for all different types of things in the organization, which has been great for the culture. So, but with, to kind of take it back and overlap it with my experiences in the Navy and at the Department of Defense, you know, it really does come down to sustainment and accountability. So being able to sustain your efforts over time, you know, some of these things are not overnight fixes. It's not overnight, it's over time. And to be able to do that, you've got to have sustained interactions across your organization. And over time, that change comes. So that's the first part. And then being able to find the things that really can build in accountability into the system. And if you have things that people are actually getting measured on or actually there to be able to showcase the good behavior they're doing and then championing that inside your own organization, then I think that you're going to have, you know, the success that you seek. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. And it's, you know, I think uh, both companies or both, you know, places you've been worked involved in diversity, uh, both, you know, longstanding uh, organizations uh, with a lot of people that, you know, not a lot of turnover necessarily. So you have a lot of people that have worked there for a long time and you have, I know that changing those can take some time. So it's good to hear that, you know, sometimes it's the little things and just being consistent about it. Eventually it moves the whole organization along. No, absolutely. And, you know, as we talk about it here, it's important to be able to make sure you have some, you know, coherent, compelling, consistent messaging from the top all the way through the organization. And it, and really keep coming back to that, sustaining that message. And I think over time, you really do make positive change. Ken Barrett is the Global Chief Diversity Officer at General Motors. Ken, thank you again for participating in SWE's Diverse Podcast Series. Jessica, thank you so much for having me. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to explore additional offerings from SWE Advance at advancedlearning.swe.org.